morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I'm going to start today with some bad news. Some bad news. That moment right there was the last time you will ever watch that sermon bumper again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. During first service, they cheered. <laughs> After four years today, we are ending the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, uh, Matthew, the end of Matthew is where we're going to be. Matthew 28 is where we're going to be today. If you're joining us online this morning, man, we're so glad that you chose to join us. I hope that you'll take a moment to, to get connected, maybe connect with Tana. She's our online host today. Uh, she'd love to connect with you, you know, talk prayer requests, and, and just figure out how you can get connected here uh, at MC. CC. Um, Matthew 28. Uh, while you guys are turning there, I do have a couple of quick announcements for you. The first one we're going to be saying all summer is this, is Rooted. If you haven't done Rooted before, you should get yourself signed up for Rooted. Um, here at MCC, what we say is we say Rooted is the answer. Right? If you want to find out how to get connected, get into a small group, find a place to serve, even figure out this faith in Jesus stuff, Rooted is where you want to be. It starts this fall, um, and you can text Monmouth to 97,000 to learn more about Rooted and, and even to get yourself signed up for Rooted. Also, next week is our 4th of July weekend, which means that we join with the other churches in our community. There's eight of us this year that will be at the Monmouth Main Street Park Amphitheater at 10 a.m. for Church in the Park. Uh, so bring blankets, bring chairs, whatever you want, and join with us. It's, it's a really cool, fun experience to be outside and to be with all these other churches and to be reminded that we are a part of a single church in this community, that we're all on the same team. And so I'd love for you to, to join us there next week at 10 a.m. Now, if you're joining us online and you aren't in the area, you're not going to make it there, there'll still be an online service at 11 a.m. that you can join in on at 11 a.m. But 10 a.m. in the park is where we're going to be um, next week. Uh, and, and a couple other really quick things is if you've got students, um, today at 6 o'clock. We're getting together out in front of this other building over here. We're going to go play putt-putt and go to Dairy Queen, um, and they, we'd love for them to join us. And then also, if you didn't get a chance to go to the open house yesterday and see um, just how beautiful and how awesome the new child care center and counseling center is, uh, well, you missed out. And that's all my announcement is. So um, you should have come. It's awesome. If you didn't, go ask other people. It's beautiful and awesome. So here we go. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Let's just read this. This is the thrust of it. This is the center. Um, it's called the Great Commission. Well, that's what we call it. Jesus didn't call it that. Jesus just spoke. And we call it the Great Commission. So let me read it to you. It says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I command you. Now, if you know the Great Commission... If you've heard it before, maybe you've heard it a hundred times, maybe you've heard it a thousand times, maybe you've heard a hundred sermons on the Great Commission. I, I want to try and invite you to something today. I, I want to invite you to try your best to hear these words fresh for the first time. Um, I was in Arkansas for a while at a church, and uh, one of the elders came to me one time, and, and he said, you know, Sean, because I was talking on the prodigal son, he said, um, Sean, that was a great sermon. Um, but here's the thing. I've been in church my whole life. I have heard the prodigal son from every single vantage point you could imagine, including the, the, the calf that was sacrificed. You're not going to tell me anything new. 
right? I thought, what a sad posture to have. So this morning, as we look at a relatively familiar text for many of us, I just want to invite you to try and hear these words afresh again. Here's the urgency that I want to give you about why it's important to hear these words fresh. Matthew ends his gospel with these words. Now we, 2,000 years later, we have the canon, we have the whole of scripture, we have the rest of the gospel writings, and we know that the story didn't end here. But Matthew, Matthew wrote 28 chapters, he had a set amount of space he could record, and he chose to record only certain stories. Now, what that means is, is think about this. Um, if I was to ask you to write a short book, because really the book of Matthew is a short book. If I was to write, ask you to write a short book, maybe 40, 50 pages max, on everything that's happened in your life in the last three years. Has a lot happened in the last three years? If I was to ask you to write everything that happened in the last three years, there is so much of the last three years that you'd have to leave out. And Matthew, as he's writing the story of Jesus, there are so many stories he has to choose to leave out. He chooses to include this one and not this one, and that's why it's important that we have all four Gospels. But the, one of the stories Matthew leaves out is the ascension of Jesus. He doesn't include, if, if, if you're early church, right, it takes, it takes um, decades, if not centuries, before the early church um, canonized uh, codified all of the New Testament as we have it today. And so if you were in the early church, if you, know, if you lived in the year 107, there, there's a very good likelihood that you had one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but you didn't have all of them. You may have had one or two of the epistles, uh, writing of Paul. You might have had a couple of those, but maybe John or, or first or second or third. You may have had those, but you wouldn't have had all of them. And so think, if you're in a church and all you have is, let's say, um, Matthew and Second Peter, right? You wouldn't call it Second Peter. You just said the letter from Peter. If that's all you have is Matthew and the letter from Peter, right? This is where Matthew chooses to end the story, isn't it kind of peculiar and odd? There's something unique and weird about the Gospel of Matthew. The end of Jesus' story for the book of Matthew, he just is telling us to do something. And I think there's a reason. Because Matthew wants to leave a lingering, unresolved answer at the end of his Gospel. He, he wants to kind of end the Gospel with just kind of like dot, dot, dot. The, 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 the earnestness of the gospel shifts from the focus on Jesus and his ministry and what he's going to do and his death and resurrection and the earnestness of the call of Matthew shifts from the life of Jesus onto a pressure onto the church to ask us, what are we going to do now? This is the invitation of Matthew. What are you going to do now? You've heard the good news of Jesus. You've heard all that he's done. You've heard his teaching. You've heard the, the Sermon on the Mount and the, 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 um, so much of his teaching. You've heard the, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus. What are you going to do now? And so Matthew leaves us with a lingering question of what are you going to do with this great commission, this great call, this great commandment? If you were here last week, um, we, the Great Commission actually begins before this. It begins, Jesus says in, in Matthew 18, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says, go. And we talked about that. And we talked about at the end, right after this, it says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. And what we talked about last week was that our faith is, all, is never passive. 
Obedience to Jesus is never passive, even in the moments, and maybe most in the moments when you're waiting on the Lord, it is an active, striving kind of thing. Our faith is never passive. And I challenged all of us that there are things that God's calling you to do that are difficult and hard. There are places he's calling you to go. And the question is, will we choose to respond to what he's called us to? And, and it says, um, the beginning, you know, it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then the end, it says, lo, I'm with you always. And, and sometimes we hear that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and we think it's kind of like a flex by Jesus, like I'm the boss now. But I think what he's saying is this, there is no place that I will send you that I am not already there. There is nothing that I will send you into that I do not have supreme authority and sovereignty over. And so go with boldness. Go with confidence, right? Um, just before we sang that song, right? My confidence is in your faithfulness. That we go with the confidence knowing of his goodness and his power and his sovereignty. So Jesus gives us this command. Go, therefore, and make disciples. The primary central verb of Jesus' command, the thing that Matthew leaves us with, the dangling question Matthew leaves us with, is this, verb, this phrase right here. Make disciples. Everything else about the Great Commission centers and revolves on this one command. In fact, these other verbs, there are three other verbs in this section, go, baptizing, and teach. Those are subordinate verbs. In fact, they're so subordinate in the Greek language. Um, this is actually a passive verb in the, in the Greek language. It's passive. So, you know, as you go. But because of the way Greek structure and because the power of this verb, it actually changes the tense from it being like, as you go about your day, it changes the tense to be an imperative, to be a command. This phrase here, this verb here, shapes and changes everything. He tells us to go and make disciples. And he tells us three things of what it looks like to go and make disciples. They're right here. They're the three verbs. They're the first one right there. You see it. Right? It says this. Go. Go. To go. Here's the thing. Um, our following Jesus will, call, will require us to go places we do not want to go. Following Jesus, making disciples, being obedient to the things that he's called us to. There will be moments that we will have uh, what we want to do and what Jesus is calling us to. Now, in the moments when, when, when what you want to do and Jesus wants to do, um, don't diverge, right? When you're like, um, when Jesus says, don't murder anyone, and you're like, uh, yeah. I mean, yesterday I did want to, but not today. Today, I'm good. I don't want to murder anybody. Um, Jesus, I'm good with that. When our will aligns with Jesus, we're not following him. We're just going on a walk on the same path. The times that we're following Jesus are when our desires go this way and his desire goes this way. And the question will is, will we go where he's calling us to or will we go to the places we want to go? If we are going to be people who make disciples, we will have to be people who go to uncomfortable places. 
who leave the comfort of our communities and leave the comfort of our social groups and leave the comfort of our social clubs and leave the comfort of our neighborhoods and our lifestyles and our rhythms and our paces and the people we're comfortable with and the languages we speak and the way that we interact with culture. We'll have to leave those places and go. The great temptation of the church is to wait to be a place where people come, but the call of Jesus, the invitation on your life is to be a people who go. Just this week, just this week, we had the awesome opportunity and honor to be able to pull a trailer full of diapers and wipes over to DHS and to, to bless families that, um, that, that uh, foster with taking care of tangible needs. Because you see, as a church, we are called to be people who go to the people of this community, not a people who wait for people to show up. In August, we're going to do this thing called Back School Bash. We've been doing it for six or seven years now, and we are going to choose to sacrifice and to give up spending things and resources on other places that maybe for us, you know, maybe I'd rather spend my money here, but Jesus is calling us to a sacrificial kind of life to go where he's called us to go, to, to the people he's called us to. And we're going to choose to collect a bunch of stuff and school supplies and give up an evening and go to the community and serve and love the people that God has placed us amongst. This last week, I had an opportunity to um, talk to some other um, people, and, and um, the, the challenge that I gave to them was this, is that every single one of us, every generation has a choice. We have a choice to go, or we have a choice to build for ourselves. Here's how I said it. I said, um, we have a choice to either build monuments or to build a new generation of followers Jesus. You can either choose to spend your life building your stuff so that when you end your life, there's a monument to your greatness, man. And, and maybe it's not physically stuff. Maybe it's recognition and people's impressed with you and the accomplishments. you Look at all the things he did. And maybe they're really great and good things. But we have a choice to either build monuments of our greatness or to build a new generation of followers of Jesus. And if we are going to be the people who build into new generations, we must be people who go to uncomfortable places that we have not gone before. Second, he says this. This is the second verb right here. First verb is on how it means to make disciples is go. The second verb that's subordinate to what it means to make disciples is baptizing. Now, um, there's a lot of discussion about why Jesus uses this word and why Jesus says, you know, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and why that's a step and what role it plays in, sa in salvation. And, and we're not interested in these conversations. He, here's, what I, here's what I think he's saying. Baptizing, um, baptism is kind of a, is a culmination of what God's been doing inside of us. There, when, when we begin to give our life to Jesus, things begin to work inside of us and we begin to have conversations with ourselves and with God and with his goodness and with our wickedness and our sinfulness and we're wrestling with these things and we begin to admit those things to God and eventually there comes a point in time where we have to acknowledge and proclaim those things publicly and the way we do that is through baptism. You see, we as a church, as a people, a follower of Jesus, our objective, our goal is not only to go, 
but to encourage people, to invite people to respond to the goodness and grace and mercy of Jesus. We are not simply a social service entity who provides nice things for people who are having a hard time. We are a people who are inviting people to understand the goodness and grace of a God who calls them sons and daughters who gave himself for them. And our desire and our hope is that people would respond to the message of goodness of God and that they would declare themselves publicly through baptism. The last thing is this of what it means to make disciples. The last verb is this, is teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And this can be, feel really weighty, right? This can feel really overwhelming because like Jesus taught a lot of things. And a lot of us are like, how am I gonna teach anybody else to observe everything that Jesus commanded when I have a hard time observing everything that Jesus has commanded? When I'm not sure I know everything Jesus has commanded. Here's where I would suggest to you is a really simple, easy starting point. Um, what did Jesus just command? Make disciples. Here's what I contend with you. Whatever we observe or whatever we learn in following Jesus, if it does not result in making disciples, it is not what Jesus is calling us to. We are living in the consequences of a generation that believed, um, well, uh, uh, sociologists coined this term, moralistic therapeutic deists. That have come to believe that what it means to follow Jesus is to be a more moral person, to be a nice and kind person, that occasionally when you're having a hard day, you can say a prayer. When something's going crazy, you can say a little prayer to God. But Deus, the, the God's just out there somewhere, that he's not intimately involved in our lives. If we learn everything we can learn about Jesus, but it does not equip us and challenge us and push us to make disciples, we have somehow missed what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is how we say it around here. We've got it posted in a couple places. This comes right from the Great Commission. Is the center heart of what it means to be a part of Monmouth Christian Church. It says this, we exist to make disciples. Period. Period. That's why we're here. Hey, let, me, let me ask you this. Um, uh, why is it, I, I th I've said that if you've been around here for a while, pre-COVID, you've probably heard me say this, but why is it, think about this. Um, God's sovereign. Can, you don't even have to raise your hand. Can we just nod our head? Like God's in control. God can do whatever he wants, right? God is God. God bows to nobody, right? He, he in fact, the way God created the world, think about this. God didn't have to make the world the way he made the world. He could have made the world any way he wanted to, right? Humans could have had all the capacity of soul and spirit, and we could have been kangaroos, right? And he said, this is Adam, and he is my image bearer, right? Because God doesn't have, I mean, he can if he wants to, but God is spirit. He didn't have 10 fingers and 10 toes and two legs, and, right? He could have done whatever he wanted to. He, he, could have, he, could have, he could make his plan for salvation whatever he wanted to, but it says before the foundation of the world that Christ was crucified, he set out this plan. God could have done whatever he wanted to. So let me ask you this. Why is it that after you give your life to Jesus, and let's just go with the Great Commission and say when you get baptized, like let's say, why is it that after you get baptized that God doesn't just suck you up into heaven? Right? 
Why, why is it that a good, loving, kind God whose goal is the salvation of all men, that, that he's patient, Scripture says, waiting that all men might repent and be drawn to him. Why is it, why is it that when you get baptized, why does God make you stay here and endure cancer? Well, why does God make you stay here if, if Jesus' death is sufficient in all ways, right, complete and, and totally complete, why does he make you stay here and endure the death of those you love? Why does he make you stay here and endure the brokenness of sin that still resides in your soul? To endure the shrapnel of the brokenness of other people. I mean, think about this. Think about this. Could there be a greater witnessing strategy then, like, you give your life to Jesus, and you're like, hey, I'm getting baptized this Sunday. You should come to church. It's going to be the last time you're going to see me. I'm out of here. Right? People come to church. I don't know who's doing the baptizing. Um, but let's just say Jesus leaves one Christian behind. Right? And they're baptizing, and you come out of the water, and all of a sudden, this, like, vacuum from heaven just sucks you and all the water up into heaven. Just, shoo! quickly is there going to be a line next to that baptismal? Right? Wouldn't that be incredible? Why does God make you stay? Because he has a mission for you. He has a job for you, church. Matthew ends his gospel with this great commission, lingering, asking you the question, will you be obedient to the single most important thing you can do with your life is to make disciples? Rick Warren says this way, I quote him last week, but I, I'm bringing it back again because I think it's so good. There are only two things that you can do on earth that you won't do in heaven. In heaven, you can't sin and you can't witness to a non-believer about Christ's love and forgiveness. He goes on later in the essay and says, what, what, do, you, what do you think God's left you here for? Church, what do you think God's left you here for? There's a, John Piper wrote a book. He's a, he's a pastor. Um, it became pretty popular after he gave this message, and then he wrote a book based on the message. It's called Don't Waste Your Life, right? And I didn't read the book, but I read the back of the book, okay? And the back of the book sums up everything you need to know about the book. He, uh, he tells the story about a real newspaper article that he saw. And in the newspaper article, it talks about this couple, and it says, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith are so excited that they are, are getting to enjoy early retirement. And this next month, they're going to be moving to the beaches of Florida. Well, they'll be able to spend their days enjoying the sunset and collecting shells. And he says, what a travesty it will be. The day they stand in front of Jesus and Jesus says to them, what did you do with all those years of free time I blessed you with? And they turn to him and say, Look at our seashells. We can choose to be people who build monuments or build into another generation of followers of Jesus. We exist to make disciples of Christ. Church, you are here so that others might know. In fact, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. It's one of my favorite verses. He says this, all this is done by God 
who through Christ changed us from enemies into his friends. That's the gospel. That's, that's what we celebrate every year, every week, every day, that he changed us from enemies into friends and gave us the task, right? This is the great commission, the great co-mission, the great with, co means with, mission is task or job. This is the great task we have. He's given us the task of making others his friends also. Our message is that God was making all human beings his friend through Christ. God did not keep an account of their sins, and he's given us the message which tells how he makes them his friend. This is our job. This is our call singularly as a church. This is the only metric of success for a church is if we are a people who make disciples, who proclaim and invite others to this great message of how they too can be friends of God because of Christ Jesus. There is no way that I could overstate the urgency, the importance, the weight of this great commission. And yet, somehow, so often, so quickly, so easily, we get distracted by the things of this world. And I think one of the reasons is, is because if I was to ask you and kind of dig in and really lean in, like what does it mean to be a disciple? Like if your call is to make disciples, what is a disciple? Like I think we might say some like, well, I mean, a disciple is like a follower of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be, how does the Bible define what it means to be a disciple? And because of our lack of understanding of what it even means for ourselves to be a disciple, we have a hard time inviting other people to something we don't understand ourselves. And so today I want to end with uh, Matthew 4.19. It's another verse. Um, We covered it like three and a half years ago at the beginning. (laughs) You can go back and find that sermon somewhere. Um, Here's Matthew 4.19. I think it's a really great little verse that Jesus gives that teaches us what it means ourselves to be a disciple and what it means to make, divide others to be disciples of himself. It says this, he being Jesus said to them, he's talking to a couple of disciples who were fishermen themselves, right? And he's inviting them to, to be his disciples. And he says this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right in that verse, Jesus gives us a definition of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we actually disciples of Jesus? Uh, Several years ago, a guy named Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called Not a Fan. And uh, um, the subtitle of it said something like, how being a fan of Jesus can ruin your faith. (laughs) And his point was, there are a lot of us who are fans, who cheer for, who like Jesus, but Jesus doesn't call us to be fans. He calls us to be disciples, and that's something different. That's something way harder. It says this, right? Look at what Jesus says. He says the first step of being a uh, disciple of Jesus is someone who follows him. I asked you earlier, when was the last time? Like, think back. When was the last time your desires diverged with Jesus and you chose to follow him? Choose to follow him. You ever driving home one time? Are you ever driving home and there's a car behind you? And then you turn and that tur- car turns and drive a little bit longer and you notice the car's still behind you and you put your blinker on to turn right and then they put their blinker on to turn right. 
and then they turn, and then you turn left really quick, and then they turn left, and then you start to get paranoid, right? Anybody else? They following me? Who is this that's following me, right? And then you turn onto your street, and you pull into your driveway, and they turn in, and they pull into their driveway. They weren't following you. They were just going the same direction you were. A lot of us have spent our life in our faith just going the same direction Jesus is. But when was the last time Jesus called you to something that you didn't, let's be honest, let's talk real, okay? When was the last time Jesus called you to something you didn't want to do? When was the last time your prayer to Jesus was, uh, I'll pass? Nope. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm supposed to have that conversation. I know I'm supposed to make that decision. <laughs> um, nobody else knows we had this conversation, right, Jesus? Like, I think I'm, when was the last time your heart started there until you finally moved to a place where you said, Jesus, I'll follow you. You've given me life. You've given me hope. You've given me everything. Your goodness and joy and peace and, and, and forgiveness, I will, I will follow you. You, all you want for me is goodness and life. Even when I can't see it and it doesn't make sense to me, I will follow you where you call me to go. Because if you do not follow Jesus when it's difficult, I would wonder, are you really actually following him at all? Or are you just on a nice walk on the beach with him? Follow me and I will make you. Look at it. I, I don't know if I can overemphasize this. I should, have, I should have made like a yellow circle that went right around this right here. This is maybe one of the hardest things that we all have um, with people we love and with ourselves, right? Um, look, look what Jesus says. What it means to be a disciple is this. Look who's making. He doesn't say follow me and make yourself. He doesn't say follow me and make your spouse. He doesn't say follow me and make your kids. Follow me and make your neighbors. Follow me and make your parents. Look what he says. Follow me. And I will. I will. Maybe one of the most difficult things about following Jesus is that it is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It is God himself who redeems and transforms. It is he who shapes and changes. Now, if we're consistent in following him often enough, then he will begin to shape and transform our lives and those around us. That if we're consistent, inviting, and challenge people to follow him in everything that they do, he will begin to change. But the following Jesus is not a discipline to better yourself. Self-improvement plans will always fail. Do we need another January 1st to be reminded of this? Do we need another set of New Year's resolution to be like, I'm going to do better? But Jesus... Jesus is the one who transforms. When you're inviting someone else to follow Jesus, our call is to invite them to follow Jesus, to invite them to his goodness and the glory, to remind them of salvation. That's what Paul does over and over again. If you read the Apostle Epistles of Paul, you know what Paul does at the beginning of every one of his, his letters? He just reminds them of the grandness and the good news of God's gospel. Because when we're reminded of the depth of his goodness, it will empower us to follow him. And as we follow him, he will change us. Last one, it says this. And I will make you fishers of men. And it brings us back to the Great Commission. God has a job for you. 
God has a purpose for your life. God has things he wants to do in you and train you and transform you, and he is inviting you to his great mission of restoring and redeeming, of bringing heaven on earth, of being a part of answering the prayer we pray that his will might be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we get to be the hands and feet, the people of God, that we get to be the conduit of his grace and mercy. Church, God has a great purpose and calling for us to impact and change and transform generations. Think on this lastly. It says this, right? It says, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. A lot of times when we read that verse, we think of it this way. We think Jesus is saying, um, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations outside of America. Right? Right? Like, go, therefore, and go to other nations. Like, leave America. But here, think of this historical reality. When Jesus said those words, the place we reside was those distant nations. And the only reason we're here is because someone chose to sacrifice for themselves, chose to give up of their lives instead of making a monument for themselves to invest in another generation so that we might hear the good news of the invitation of how to be friends sons and daughters of the king. And so church, our call today is the same. Maybe more importantly than in any time in American history is a desperate call for the church to be the church that goes, that goes and declares the good news of how we might be friends with God and invites others to follow him in all that they do.